Scream for me, Brazil! Scream for me, Brazil! Author, pilot, radio host, fencing enthusiast, and most notably, singer, songwriter. That's right, folks. Today on the second episode, the long-awaited, finally here, second episode of the Maiden Fan Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about Iron Maiden frontman, Bruce Dickinson. Born in a mining town in 58, when black and white TV was up to date. Paul Bruce Dickinson was born on August 7th, 1958, in a small mining town called Worksop, Nottinghamshire, England. Now, that tells me two things right there. Number one, that his birthday is three days after mine. Number two, he's 49 years old and he's still dancing around on stage like he's 25. And then, of course, there's a third thing, and that is that the song, Born in 58, that you were just listening to, is... uh autobiographical that song comes from dickinson's excellent solo album that came out in i think 1990 called tattooed millionaire of course uh that was the the album that he did i think it's between no prayer for the Dying. no no it's between seven son and no prayer for the dying because of course then uh yannick gers came with him from tattoo millionaire to no prayer for the dying. But anyway, uh, Bruce Dickinson's family. They were a working class family, uh, and they moved around a lot from time to time to wherever the work was. Uh, when they finally found some stability, they were able to send young Bruce off to boarding school at the age of 13 years old. Now, it was at boarding school that, that Bruce really started finding out that he could sing. And around this time, uh, he started hearing you know music like Deep Purple for the first time and that really, you know, blew his mind. But even though he was uh, in boarding school, this is Bruce we're talking about here. So, uh, you know, a couple of years into it, he was expelled from boarding school after urinating in the headmaster's dinner. I can't believe it. Uh, you know, and I have to tell you, a lot of these facts I'm getting from Wikipedia, so they're only as true as Wikipedia can go because I am not some kind of crazy... Uh, you know, researcher, you know, I'm a Maiden fan looking up stuff about Maiden. And uh, anyway, he ended up going home and going to Catholic school for a short spell. And it was at this time that he joined his first band. And you want to know what the name of this band was? My friends, the band was called Paradox, which really isn't important because Bruce later changed the name to, okay, stand back, Sticks. Of course, he didn't realize that the U.S. already had sticks, you know, on their hand. Anyway, the band looked to be, you know, they they just did something during school because they broke up, uh, you know, right around the time that he was finished with school. And at this point in his life, he had two options. Number one, join the army. Number two, go to university. And believe it or not, Bruce's parents actually wanted him to join the army. But Bruce wanted to go try to get some education first. They They went along with it, and Bruce was glad because... You know, what he really wanted to do was get there and just focus on joining bands, you know. 
some people go go to co- go to college to party. Some people go to learn. Some people go to play sports. Bruce wanted to go and find a freaking band to join. Okay, that's great. Anyway, he ended up joining a couple bands, like this one called Speed, where they just tried to play everything blazing fast. And then he was in another band called Shots. And uh, it was during this time that he met a drummer by the name of Barry Graham. Now, if you don't know who Barry Graham is, that's okay. But some of you out there might know someone by the name of Thunderstick. Oh, yeah. And he also met singer-guitarist Paul Sampson of the band, aptly named Sampson. Now, they ended up starting a relationship that led to Paul Sampson stepping back as singer of the band and bringing in young Bruce Dickinson as the new vocalist. But... If you owned a Samson cassette like I do, you'd know that the name doesn't say Bruce Dickinson is a lead singer. No, no, no. He had a much cooler name called Bruce Bruce. That's right. Bruce Dickinson, the, 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 the man who would rather just, you know, wear jeans than, than hairspray, was friggin' named Bruce Bruce. And if you never heard Bruce and Samson, listen to this. Johnny B, my cousin, Johnny B. He actually gave me that tape. Uh, this is about the time that I was really getting into Maiden. I was probably 89, 90. And uh, I remember him giving me the tape down at his uh, family beach cottage. And I played it so many times. This was uh, Salisbury, Massachusetts, if you ever heard of it. Good beach. But um, anyway, back to Bruce. This is not Maiden and Me. That was last time. Was that two months ago? Jeez. Anyway, uh, Samson. So yeah, Bruce was in Samson for a couple years. You know, they they put out a couple albums. Um, and his last gig with the band was in 1981. And uh, that was actually you know released as an album by the BBC called Live at Reading in '81. Um, and it was around that time that a little band called Iron Maiden began, uh, you know, considering changing out uh, old Paul Diano and trying to get a new singer. So, uh, out Steve Harris, also known as Ari, and uh, manager, managers Ron Smallwood, they came to Reading to check out Bruce Dickinson, and they asked him to come down and audition for the band. So he accepted the uh, the invitation to audition, and um, you know, after he spent a week rehearsing with the band, he knew right away. He says, "When I first heard Maiden, I got the same buzz of them I did when I heard Deep Purple and Rock. It was like a steam train coming at you, and none of the other bands did that anymore." So, uh, you know, once he did some, you know, auditioning with them, they knew he was a fit. He joined the band. They did a few gigs in Italy to break him in. 
And, um, you know, then the band sat down and said, okay, let's start getting material ready for our third album. This was the first time, you know, I'm reading this. It's news to me as much as it is to you right now. This is the first time that the band decided to actually write an entire album. You know, the first two albums were, were basically, you know, made up of songs that they've been playing for years. So for this third album, they actually wrote all the music specifically for it. And, uh, you know, that the third album is right. And even though uh, the album was titled Number of the Beast, and of course it has one of their most favorite songs on it, Run to the Hills, Back in 1982, you didn't skip ahead on your CD player. I mean, some people had A-tracks, but most people put that album on their record player and put the needle down right at the beginning and heard. Now, this album, Number of the Beast... It was put together in only five weeks. It was crazy. But, an interesting fact, due to um, some contractual problems with Samson, Bruce Dickinson could not be credited on the songs in which he contributed to Iron Maiden. I'm not sure why exactly, but uh, Bruce is quoted saying, I think he could say, I had a very big moral contribution to certain songs, like Children of the Damned, Run to the Hills, and The Prisoner. Those three songs were the song in which I had the biggest moral contribution. God, my... Horrible British accent. Anyway, by moral contribution, he, he's referring to the fact that the contribution that he made was equal to those of the other band members. Now, speaking of Run to the Hills, Run to the Hills was definitely the big hit off the album. It, it peaked at, like, number seven on the UK charts. And, um, you know, from there, uh, this was, you know, Bruce was now in the band, and, and they put out... Uh, Two more albums right after that. They put out Peace of Mind and Power Slave. And um, it, it was at this point that, that Adrian Smith and Bruce were really starting to contribute songs to the albums. About half of them were, were their contribution. And, you know, that led to some infighting. Not really infighting, but arguing and, and, uh, and you know, just trying to question w- which songs would be the best. Because before that, you know, Steve Harris wrote all the songs. And he still is the majority, you know... Uh, writer for Maiden but um, it was you know of course you're, you're a guy you start a band um, you, you, you write all the music you bring these two guys in and all of a sudden they start writing music you, you get a little nervous about things but um, you know they, they definitely did contribute a lot of great songs and um, it was actually after the Power Slave Tour the Power Slave Tour was a huge success it lasted over a year and um, it was actually at a six-month break of this uh, tour, or right after the tour. They, before, I think, they started doing, uh, you know, s- somewhere in time. It was, it was during a six-month break that, that Bruce started getting into his favorite sport, fencing. And actually, after they recorded the Seventh Son album in December of 87, Bruce moved to Bonn, Germany. Or Bonn, Germany. I'm not trying to pronounce it. But he moved there so that he could be close to the West Germany Training Center for Fencing. And at the end of the 80s, Bruce was at the peak of his fencing career. He actually ended up ranking 7th in Great Britain in men's foil discipline. While his club 
side, the Hemel Hampstead Fencing Club represented Great Britain in the European Cup in 89. And it's funny that uh, I'm reading this um, when I was in eighth grade or something. Uh, my buddy Bill would tell me, oh, Bruce is an Olympic fencer. Well, he got some of the story right. He, he loved fencing, and uh, the, the, the place he fenced, I guess, his club... God, I'm reading this crap directly from Wikipedia. To tell you the truth, I, I started adapting Wikipedia, trying to make it in my own voice, and I wrote a bunch of stuff out. And now I, I'm just trying to, to look at it and put it in my own voice. And um, I don't. This isn't working. It's it's not. I shouldn't say it's not working, but it's not as fluid as the uh, as the first episode. And of course, now you know why I was having such a difficult time getting this out. But anyway. I want to flash back quickly. Uh, Somewhere in Time has, of course, one of my favorite Maiden songs on it. Now, uh, here's something I didn't know, is that uh, Bruce really didn't like the album that much. And uh, he, he didn't like the, the, the prog rock uh keyboard sound that uh, went with it, which is interesting to me. I never really knew that. And uh, he also has no writing credits on that album. Uh, you know, I think back when I go see him in concert, and uh, I think in all the times I've seen him, they played only two songs from se- from Somewhere in Time. First time I saw him, they played Heaven Can Wait. And uh, when I saw him right after Bruce came back, they played Wasted Years. But um, interesting. I wonder if they don't like the album. I don't know. There's a lot of great songs on that album. But um, yeah. actually, it was uh, you know, it was during the time of Somewhere in Time. Also, it was on the tour that Bruce started doing something else other than writing music. He started putting together writing that would became his first published novel. Did you know that Bruce Dickinson is a published author? I mean, come on. The guy's an author. The guy fences. We haven't even got, you know, that to the rest of it yet. And, of course, he's a great singer. Now, his album, I'm sorry, his album, his book is called The Adventures of Lord Iffy Boat Race. And here's a quote from Dickinson. Plotting it out was the doodle. It came from a series of mad conversations, actually, that all gestured together along with some Sherlock Holmes, some Beagles and Penthouse, and out it came. Uh, I have no idea what I just read. I don't even know what that means. It was released in 1990, and um, due to the loyalty of the Maiden fan base, Maiden fan base, Jesus, now you can just tell I'm reading, but actually 40,000 copies were sold, and uh, on the strength of which he produced a sequel titled The Missionary Position in 1992. Oh my God. I didn't know he wrote a second book. And I'll tell you the truth, I've never read the first book. I, I've never found it. I have no idea where it is. So I found it interesting that uh, Bruce wasn't too crazy about uh, Somewhere in Time. And yet, uh, as far as I find, he he loves the idea of Seventh Son of a Seventh Son. 
uh, he he saw that Steve was writing a song called The Clairvoyant, and he also wrote the song Seventh Son of a Seventh Son. And Bruce thought it was great. You know, they 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 should write the whole album around this theme, and, and basically do a concept album uh, that tells a story. And that's what they did. Seven deadly sins, seven ways to win, seven holy paths to hell, and your trip begins. Seven downward slopes, seven bloodied hopes, seven are your burning fires. Oh man These are the first sounds I ever heard From the first Maiden tape that I ever bought But you know that already Anyway uh, Maiden, you know, Bruce Really was into this album But uh, I wonder if the style of it You know Just kind of, uh wasn't his thing because uh let me tell you no maiden album since then has had uh synthesizers like this and uh, actually right after seventh son came out uh bruce was approached to uh put a song together for a movie a little movie called nightmare on elm street part five i actually saw that in the theaters yes i did uh, so, you know, Bruce wanted to do something a little different than, than Maiden. He, he grabbed his buddy, his old friend, Yannick Gez, and, um, you know, five minutes later they said they had Bring Your Daughter to the Slaughter ready. Bring your daughter, bring your daughter to the slaughter. The interesting fact is, of course, this also made it onto Iron Maiden's No Prayer for the Dying, which... Quote, Dickinson calls a huge step backwards. When I look back on it now, that's probably their their least favorite, my least favorite album of theirs, and the one I replay the, the least, and probably their worst album, I guess. If I think it's their le- my least favorite, then I think it's their worst. Um, I love Tailgun and everything, but let's, let's, let's back up a little bit here, okay? Because... Uh, no Prayer for the Dying featured Janet Gers on guitar after Adrian Smith left. Now, Janet Gers not only played or became Iron Maiden's new guitarist and is still there today, he not only sang, you know, recorded that song with Bruce for Nightmare on Elm Street Part 5. Ah, I just stubbed my toe, damn it. But Janet also was with Bruce when he put out his first solo album. I bought this album at the Rockingham Mall in Salem, New Hampshire. I believe it was uh, Record Town or uh, there was another Record Town. There was not re- there was Record Town and there was one that began with an M I forget. Now the uh, Rockingham Mall has kind of been bastardized. It's, not, it's a strip mall now, but um, oh, who gives a crap? Anyway, I remember buying this album and, and playing it and thinking, oh my God, this is awesome. And let me tell you why. Number one, it wasn't Maiden. And, and I don't mean that in a bad way. 
what I mean is that it, you know, I love Maiden, but I was also a fan of all that pop metal that was going on with, you know, Poison and Slaughter and Bon Jovi and Warrant and all that crap. And, and you know, and I still enjoy it today. So this was like, like, like a weird mixture in between it. You know, uh, it had Bruce's voice over a lot more, jeez, uh, how do you say it? Uh, the music that could that could be that could reach more people that that you could hear on the radio for at the time, um, and and they just had you know uh, different. I mean, he did a he did a uh, a cover of a David Bowie song. Okay, all the young dudes, friggin', still my favorite version. I heard Ozzy redo it. I've heard the original, and Bruce is still my favorite version by far. He did a song on there called, of course, Born of 58, which you heard right at the beginning. He did a song called Gypsy Road, which is not the Cinderella one. This one's actually better. And he did a song called Dive, 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 which if I explain what the song is about, I will have to slap an, a uh, you know dirty tag on this explicit tag in iTunes. And I don't want to do that. Nope. This album came out. I remember hanging out in my friend Bill's pool and cranking this up. I don't want your silver lining. Man, it was great. And the fact that this was happening and No Prayer for the Dying was coming out, it, it, it was, you know, I was my freshman year of high school. It was awesome. The Tail Gunner came out. And of course, you know, my first concert, blah, 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 all that crap. But um, I think it was at this point that Bruce was kind of starting to, uh, you know, have second thoughts about what he wanted to do with the rest of his life. You know, at this point, he's written two books. He, he, he's, he's a really good fencer. And by that, I don't mean selling of stolen goods. <laughs> I should have used that joke earlier. Now, at this point, when I talk about fencing, it kind of spoils it. Anyway, um, and, you know, he actually, from what I read, he, he did some acting over in, B, in the U.K. and some radio work. So, you know, they, they put out the next album, Affair of the Dock, which had some excellent music on it. You know, I, I look back, when I first bought it, I thought, oh, this is kind of nice. Um, you know, had some cool songs on it. And when I go back and listen to it now, Fear of the Dark... There's a song right there that I can enjoy. You're listening to it on the radio, or, or but it, it, if you when you hear it live, the live version even I enjoy immensely better. You know, and I was huge into um, uh, "Hell Ain't a Bad Place, Hell Is From Here to Eternity," and it was weird because it was a different. It was it was just it was different. I just passed gas. You didn't hear that, did you? Anyway, the whole sound of the album was it was it was you know it had some sound that was very rock some that had a little pop to it uh weekend warrior just i don't know what to say about that uh but you know it had afraid to shoot strangers which is just a masterpiece but um when he was going on tour for uh, fear of the dark when they were going on tour bruce was you know thinking of am i gonna put out a second album i think i want to do it now he had actually, he was ready to go to put on a second album with, uh, with a band called Skin. He was gonna, they were going to back up him. And uh, Ron Smallwood, if you're a Maiden fan, you know who Ron Smallwood is. He's the uh, manager of the band. You know, he told Dickinson because the, the, 
the fear of the doctor was going to be divided into two parts, and the gap in between was when Dickinson was going to go off and uh, record his album. And, uh, you know, Ron said to him, look, this better be a good one, because uh, if you're going to, you know, make us do all this for just for a solo record, you know, damn well better be a good one. And actually, it had an effect on, on Bruce, and he ended up canning the whole thing, he, the thing, the thing with skin. Um, so, you know, it was, it was here when, when Dickinson first started questioning his ambitions, but I, I'd have to say it was before that it was, pro- I'm going to say all the way back to, uh, to somewhere in time is when things started to get a little different. Cause you notice he, uh, and, and really I'm speaking just, you know, on my theory, you know, he, he sees a different shift in the sound, which was fine. Not a big deal because they put out some amazing songs after that. But I think he also started seeing that he can do more. Um, and maybe his doing more is taking precedence over being an Iron Maiden. Because um, after the you know, Fear of the Doc tour, August 28th, 1993, was Bruce's last live show with Iron Maiden. And geez, I think that's got to be around the time that... Uh, they put out that ridiculous pay-per-view that I actually paid for. Um, and I recorded it. I ended up hooking my VCR up to my stereo and recording it on a cassette tape and on a VHS tape at the same time. And uh, it was it was Maiden, Fear of the Dark, and uh, a magician. It wasn't even live, I don't think. It was just a recording. And I ended up paying like 30 bucks for it. And my friend Bill was supposed to come over, and he didn't. So... Uh, you know, and then the next day I tried to sell an audio, a, a, an audio version of it to a Spin Out Records, not Spin Out, yeah, Spin Out Records in, um, no, DNA Records, Music DNA, whatever the hell it is. Oh shit, I gotta get my dogs in. And we're back. Sorry about that, folks. It's about eleven thirty here on a Sunday night here in the states. And um, God, I think this microphone's starting to die on me. Time to buy a new one. Um. My dogs were just outside in the yard barking, and uh, I had to hurry up and get them in so they didn't disturb anyone in the neighborhood. But anyway, where was I? Oh, yes, so Bruce is out of Iron Maiden, and uh, I remember going into school, seeing Bill that day, just kind of shaking our heads, saying, what the hell just happened? So Bruce was out. Blaze was in. Bruce was now a solo artist. He put out a Balls to Picasso, which uh, I thought was all right. It had a couple songs on it that I enjoyed. He put out something called Skunk Works, which I didn't have. But actually, that was interesting because from what I read, it, the band was supposed to be called Skunk Works. But the record label said, no, 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 you're Bruce Dickinson. This is Bruce Dickinson. And, um, you know, out came Skunk Works. Then he got back together with Adrian Smith and put out two good albums. One was called Tyranny of Souls, and it even had uh, Derek Riggs doing the album art. And the next one was The Chemical Wedding. And I enjoyed those albums pretty much. But out of the two of them, the highlight by far 
is the tower. I was in a good place, I thought, you know. Iron Maiden was still around with Blaze, and, um, you know, they had one I, I wasn't crazy about called The X Factor, and one that I enjoyed called The Virtual Eleven. And Bruce was, uh, you know, back with Adrian, and they were putting out some good music. So I thought, okay, I can get the best of both worlds. I can still get my Maiden, I can still get my Bruce. So I couldn't really complain. I mean, of course. It would have been a lot better if Bruce was still in Maiden. And uh, while you're at it, why not bring Adrian back with you? Which is exactly what happened. Hand of Fate is moving. And uh, after six years out of the band, Bruce Dickinson has returned to Iron Maiden. After, I think, nine, ten years out of the band, Adrian Smith returned with him. But Yannickers wasn't kicked out of the band. No, no, no. He wasn't asked to leave. He wasn't fired. He didn't leave on his own. No, no, no. The core five member of Iron Maiden, the Bruce, Adrian, Steve, Dave, and and Nico, uh, was back with Yannick. So now... They went from a quintet to a sextet, I think is what we call them, which is, of course, much cooler sounding. Iron Maiden was back. They put out, since Bruce has come back and Adrian's come back, they've put out three great albums. We're talking The Best of Both Worlds. We're talking Dance of Death, which to me is their best freaking album since Seven Sun. And we're talking about a matter of life and death, which, of course, deals with a lot of military and, and, and history and battle. And it's a great, great concert. Um, they played the whole album, which, of course, I, I wouldn't, uh, wouldn't have preferred, but it was still you know, cool to see. So Bruce was back in Iron Maiden. Iron Maiden was back as Iron Maiden. They weren't Blaze Maiden anymore. Now, I know that doesn't sound the same as Van Hagar, but Blaze Maiden, to me, was a bigger deal. So Bruce and Adrian are back in Iron Maiden, and uh, the world is happy again. I'm happy again. I'm sure Maiden's happy again, especially Bruce. Uh, and, and since then, since Bruce has been back in the band, he's really become quite the Renaissance man. You know, uh, he actually right now, uh, today, hosts a radio show on the BBC Radio. It's a, it's a rock show, and. Um, you know, I haven't heard it yet. I know it's online, but um, let's just say this. You know, he, he the guy has the gift for gab. 
You know, he doesn't sound like a used car salesman like David Lee Roth, but um, the man certainly knows a few things and, 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 and can definitely, uh, he's not afraid to share his um, his opinion. And uh, I think that he, he has a, he's very knowledgeable in, in, in rock and roll and heavy music, and uh, I'm sure that the show's great. And if you haven't given it a listen, uh, you should give it a try. And if you do listen to it, because I know I do have some listeners overseas, over in England. Is that, is that an English accent? I don't even know. Anyway, uh, if you do listen to it, you know, let me know. Is it good? Uh, should I listen to it? Do you listen to it regularly? How is he on the show? Yada, yada, yada. Has he ever had any Maiden fa- uh, guests on? Does he talk about Maiden? Or is he kind of, I'm Bruce Dickinson. I'm separate from Iron Maiden when I'm on the radio. Anyway, did you know? That there is another thing that Bruce is into. Yeah, I know. What are we talking about? The guy fences. He writes books. He 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 writes music. He 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 sings for a heavy metal band. He now he does his own radio show. What the hell else does this guy do? He goes where he goes to. Yeah, I tried to hit the high note. That's right. Bruce is a friggin' pilot. <laughs> and I'm not just talking about, you know, like uh, a pilot like, you know, John Denver who liked to fly his plane around and then... Or Travolta who owns a couple jets. I'm talking... Bruce flies friggin' Boeing 757s. Okay, he works for a friggin' airline. I'm talking about you could go fly someplace and you're going to look and he'd be like, Hello, I'm your pilot. That's I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's a horrible... Um, it'd be more like this. Hello, I'm your pilot, Bruce Dickinson. I'm going to fly you someplace. That wasn't bad, was it? Um, and actually, on February 12, 2007, Dickinson was given permission to fly Rangers to Israel for the UEFA Cup against Hapoi Tel Aviv. He asked if he could pilot the flight as soon as he found that Astris had contract for it. Astris Air, that's the airline that Bruce flies for. It's... Uh, it's amazing, this guy. He he flies. He sings. He writes. He's an athlete. He's an intellectual. He's a, he's a communicator. The guy even goes on the radio. This guy's crazy, huh? Uh, he, he, it's a very interesting guy. Um, and I, I don't even do him justice because I'm not very good at this. Um, you know, I, I half prepared, half did this on... On the, the the quick of things, and um, really, if um, you're obviously an Iron Maiden fan because you're listening to this, but um, you know I like to take an interest in the the music that I listen to sometimes, especially you know the music I'm really passionate about. I love Iron Maiden, and um, anything that has anything to do with them, I'm interested in, including the band members. You know, there are, there are bands of music they put out I enjoy, but I don't give a crap about them. I don't, I don't care what, uh, you know, what, what you know, the guys in Dream Theater do. I mean, they're interesting to me, but uh, it's not that interesting. I, I don't want to know about their life. But uh, Bruce has been such a part of my life without him knowing it for, oh, God, almost two decades now that, um, you know, I, I like to read about his life. And, um, you know, take the time, go to YouTube, look up some interviews with him. To, it, it's interesting. Uh, you know, go on Wikipedia. I know it's not the greatest, uh, always factual, you know, 
But uh, this, you read the whole thing because it was really cool. Um, and, of course, uh, up the irons because, uh, you know, that's what we do here at the Maiden Fan Podcast. You know, I've done a podcast before. I did a little variety show a couple of years back, and um, I have to say that the response that I've gotten here after one episode uh, has far exceeded what I used to get from that show. And I want to thank everyone who's emailed me, Uh, especially Ben Turnbull. Okay, man, that's the first guy who emailed me. He's a Maiden fan over in the U.K., and um, I think he's in Scotland, uh, from what I've read, because he went to see them in Glasgow. And uh, Ben, thanks for being the first guy to write to me, and I hope you're still listening, and I hope to hear back from you again. I also want to give a shout-out to Adam Eastman, who is another guy I've been emailing back and forth, another great Maiden fan. He's, uh, he's a young fella. He's about the age of where I was when I was first getting into Maiden. And uh, hey, Adam, up the irons, baby. I want to thank Iverso Phil. I'm not sure if that's your name, but that's what your email says. Dude, up the irons, and uh, Bruce Dickinson is God. I agree. I want to give a shout-out to Sandre Lunde. I hope I'm pronouncing that right, who wrote to me all the way from Norway. Uh, up the irons, and I like your idea about uh, maybe doing a bootleg show. Though, I agree with you. I don't really know if that's legal or not, but that's awesome. You have a lot of bootlegs, and... Uh, I'd love to give a listen to him. That'd be great. Tyson Shaw, up the irons. That's right, baby. Iron Maiden fans have passion. I have passion for the band, and I can tell by your email. You have passion for them, too. I want to go crank them up right now, too. Well, I'm listening to them right now. But uh, your idea about doing shows specifically on albums and going through albums, great idea. I plan on doing stuff like that down the line someplace. I hope. Look how long it took me to do this one. Will Argent, all the way from down under. Thank you very much for all the kind words. I love Dance of Death, too, uh, as I just said many times. And and I agree. Blaze and Paul are really great singers, too. And as you can tell, I'm I'm listening to a uh, Paul song right now. So, uh, you know, uh, I'm going to check out that that number of Daboots, too, that link you gave me. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Up the irons. Roberto in Mexico. You mentioned the power of the band. That's right. You really feel it. You know, it's it's hard to explain, but Maiden fans are unlike any other fans in the world. And you can just tell by all the all the responses I've gotten. Norway, Australia, Scotland, Mexico. Maiden fans are all over the world. Maiden is a worldwide phenomenon. Boy, am I glad I checked my email before I finished recording this section. Piri Pulasari. I hope I pronounced it right. My new friend from Finland. Thank you very much for your email. I think that it's awesome that kids are, are still getting into Maiden years later. I mean, 
oh my god, I was 12, 19 years ago, which is scary. And I got into Maiden when I was 13. And the fact that I was actually getting into Maiden, what I thought was late in, in their, you know, their world, their history. To, to see the kids today are, are still getting into it. Excellent. And to uh, answer some of your questions, Piri, I, I hope I'm pronouncing it right. Is it Piri or Piri? I, I, I'm really sorry. But to answer your questions, um, my favorite album. It is so hard. Uh, you know, and I, I know you say your favorite is, is the first one, is Iron Maiden. And that really is a great album. But I'm going to have to say that my favorite album is a Bruce album. And it's probably Peace of Mind. I mean, overall, God, I don't know. It's so hard to say. I, I just think of the group of songs that I that I love the most. And I mean, Number of the Beasts is right there. Peace of Mind, Seventh Son. Oh, my God, I, I can't decide. My head's going to explode. Um, but I'll say peace of mind, I think just overall top to top to bottom, excellent album. Um, and my second question, which is not off topic, nothing's off topic here. It has something to do with maiden. How old do you have to be to get into an, a maiden concert? And I'm assuming that it's different worldwide where you're in Finland. Um, there may be a, uh, an age requirement, but, um, every time I've seen Iron Maiden, uh, there's been no, you know, 18 or older, uh, you know, rule. A lot of concerts that you go see around here in clubs and the clubs that serve alcohol, and therefore you got to be about 21 um, or 18 to get in, 21 to drink. But when I've seen Maiden, I've seen them at, you know, like uh, sports arenas. Um, and those places serve alcohol, but they're also, you know, they serve alcohol when the sporting events go on. So kids go, kids come and go. And I've seen kids. I mean, God, I was 14 when I saw Maiden the first time, and I definitely saw younger kids there with their parents. I think they were all into it. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I don't know if what an age requirement is, but actually, uh, Piri, I have a question for you. You're in Finland. Um I just started getting into a Finland band called Sonata Arctica. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but I really like um, them, and they have a lot of cool songs that I enjoy. And um, they're actually coming up to Massachusetts at the end of September, and I'm going to try to get to go see them, but probably not because I just got tickets to see Van Halen and Megadeth within a month span. So um, Sonata might have to be put on the back burner. Now that, my friend, is off topic, Okay. Up the aisles. Ah, you killed your first man at 13. Kill our instincts, animal supreme. Yeah. You have been listening. To the Maiden Fan Podcast. And of course, you can always go and get the latest in Iron Maiden news and my latest episodes at www.maidenfanpodcast.com. I'd love to hear more emails from people. You can send me an email at maidenfanpodcast at gmail.com. And, of course, you can always call the Eddie hotline and send me a voicemail. I haven't got one of those yet. 
337-0466. And I'm suspecting that uh, the reason I, I haven't had many voicemails is because so many of my listeners are from overseas, which I think is friggin' great. I want to thank you all for listening. I hope this episode was all right. I tried my best. It took me a while. This was hard because I had to deal more with fact than with opinion, and uh, it's tough for me. Now, my next episode plan is um, I don't want to do anything on, on any of the band members or any of the albums. What I want to do is focus on Iron Maiden covers, the cover bands, the cover albums, the tribute albums, the, 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 the cover songs that other bands do. And in fact, you may actually hear a cover song from yours truly. Until next time, this is Mike at the Maiden Fan Podcast. Up the irons. Schlunzi, are you listening? <laughs>